The Chief is with us today, Editor Rusty Reno, to discuss an issue raised in this month's Public Square. Welcome, Rusty. We'll get right to it. Yes, I am the chief, the boss, the jefe. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, now, you, you start in, in the public square this time. It, it, it is an entry entitled Free and Conservative. You start by citing something called Freedom Conservatism, which aims to be a movement. What is it? Well, it's a, a group. Uh, I think Avik Roy is uh, one of the organizers. I think they want to push back against the trend in the Republican Party towards more populist politics. And so it's a, it, it's a, I think, a pretty straightforward restatement of uh, updated statement of kind of Reagan era principles. Well, these, these, these people, I mean, first of all, I, I would say the populist movement, and we'll, we'll just say, you know, Trump is the figurehead, at least for most of the supporters of that, it certainly has a tremendous amount of energy, drive, commitment. Now we can think of negative names for it, idolatry, right? Zealousness. But given the, the energy that the left has from its woke base, what, what is wrong in the freedom conservatives figures what is wrong with the, the populist conservatism orientation? Well, as I see populism, I mean, it's a kind of amorphous word. But in the present moment, whether it's in Europe or the United States, it is a protest against what I call the open society consensus. And it's a rebellion of voters against the disillusion or the dissolving of um, the solid or what they thought were the once solid foundations of life. You know, faith, family, and flag, I see those as three big consolidating um, motifs, so to speak. And we live in a time when marriage is um, a, a much weakened institution, um, obviously with mass immigration, and also a kind of hostility towards patriotism that one often finds on the left. The nation is is kind of an open question. Uh, that's more acute in the European Union where national sovereignty has actually been ceded to the Brussels bureaucracy. That's not the case in the United States. But a lot of people feel like their country's been taken away from them by a, an arrogant elite, you know, who thinks of them as takers, to use Romney's language, or deplorables, to use Hillary Clinton's language. So they're not stupid. They see themselves living in a country where they're increasingly um, felt to be unwelcome, and then kind of economic uh, erosion of middle-class prosperity for lots of causes, and then, you know, the, the sort of faith question. Anyway, everywhere you look, it seems like family, oh, hotbed of patriarchal oppression, uh, you know, nation, xenophobia, um, uh, and faith, you know, all, all of the great evils of the <laughs> you know, homophobia, patriarchy, again, underline, underscore. Um, so, so I think populism is a call for um, a politics of reconsolidation is what I see it as. I think Trump, you know, back in 2016, build a wall. 
I mean, that's a very blunt, it's a kind of condensed symbol of a politics of, um, I'm going to protect uh, the institutions and the things that you care about, dear voters. Right. As opposed to the old Reagan era, where it was very different. You know, you and I were teenagers in the 70s. I don't know about you, but I, I mean, it was a bad time. You know, late 70s, trying to get a job, any job. I tell young people I couldn't get jobs in the summer in high school. I'm like, what? Because we live, they have never experienced the kind of economic malaise that, um, that were in there for a long time. And also, you know, the middle class consensus was still robust. Uh, institutions like marriage and, and churches, they, they may have been in the, in the beginning of their decline, but it didn't seem advanced. And so the Reagan era was like, we're, we're over-consolidated. We need to open things up, let the creative juices flow, um, let the entrepreneurial spirit uh, carry the day. Um, and perhaps that was the right politics for that moment. But gosh, you know, that was, that's, that was 42 years ago, 43 years ago. 1980 was 43 years ago. Yeah. And we have a very different society. We have a society that's decomposing. Well, that not a society that's over-consolidated. And the freedom conservatism manifesto just seems irrelevant to me because it, it doesn't seem to even recognize uh, what the problems that we face as a country are. Well, they, they do say some of the right things about family, free speech, cancel culture, don't they? In, in the uh, manifesto they issued? But Yeah, there's yes and no. Um, they, you know, they affirm family, but I don't think they recognize the extent to which freedom and family are actually connected to each other. I think freedom, freedom flows from having a firm foundation, um, in life. And so it's the depth of your commitments that stiffens your spine and allows you to stand fast when whether, whether it's the cancel culture mob or whether it's the, even the government is telling you to do something that you know is wrong and you don't want to do it. Right. And so you have to be, the, the, the no is the, is the ultimate test of freedom. Right. Do I have the strength to say no? Uh, and that's the free, you know, you old don't tread on me, you know, live free or die, the New Hampshire state motto. That requires gumption. And I don't think the Freedom Conservatism Manifesto recognizes that the social, cultural, moral, spiritual foundations for freedom in our society have uh, significantly eroded. And so if we care about freedom, we have to buttress those institutions so that people have a firm foundation, uh, an anchor, different metaphors here, but, um, you know, some place to stand yeah. against uh, tyranny. And and it seems that in that in that older conservatism, the Reaganite, it, it really is sort of libertarian, which presumes that if you free individuals, they can they can do all that by themselves. They don't need. I mean, in a way, the only foundation they need is their own desires, their own will, and and. You imply, well, maybe that works for, for a Henry David Thoreau, but most people need a lot more than their own soul selves. 
in order to say no. Well, well, we all we all need uh, right. The institutions are what provide the context to help us toward the things that are noble and worth affirming and worth fighting for, uh, sacrificing for, um, and and that those institutions are are very weak. And I think something like Reagan, you know, was born, uh, you know, I think 1913 or something like that, and. Uh, you know, so he he could take for granted these institutions, and in fact, the consensus was, um, you know, you remember it that we need to weaken the social consensus to allow for what John Stuart Mill called experiments in living. Yeah. And we've been through a long cycle of weakening, and you know the and I, as I point out, you know that one consequence of weakening is that people are kind of at sea, um, you know, so. We have more freedom now, in a libertarian sense, for, you know, formally speaking, yeah. than at any point that I can, uh, in our history. And you know, and people make shipwrecks out of their lives. So how can we have a culture of freedom if a hundred thousand people a year are dying of drug overdose death? I just defy anyone to tell me that to die of an overdose death is an expression of freedom. Huh. Uh, people don't want; they don't desire to die. Um, so it, it's funny. People are very stymied. People want to get married, but they they don't. People want to stay married, but they don't. Um, people want to be responsible citizens, but they have a hard time. Uh, so, so that suggests to me the a, not a culture of freedom, but a culture of bondage. Yeah. And you know, look, I'm a, uh, but our political culture has to address that, that, that kind of. Like, how do we get to the point where we are so, and, and not just dysfunctional people, but gosh, young people that I meet, you know, I don't know your view, Mark, but wow, they feel like they can't make a single false step. Oh, yeah. uh, otherwise, you know, their, you know, their job prospects will be ruined. Say the wrong thing on social media. You'll be cast out of society by your friends if you're in middle school. Um, so... So, you know, I, I think policymakers need to take the measure of this. Um, yeah. I mean, the Europe, Europeans are starting to impose restrictions on social media. And, and this strikes me as wise. So I think, the, I think the, the data is in that social media has a very addictive quality. And that social media is also um, social media is also a uh, tremendous force multiplier of social pressure, Indeed. especially among the the young. And so, if you care about freedom, you don't. I mean, a, a person who cares about freedom should try to prevent addiction, which is the opposite of freedom. And a person who cares about freedom ought to want to weaken, you know, this punitive uh, social kind of punishment that we see. And so maybe there's a kind of age restriction on when people can use social media, uh, parental, you know, that in order to get an account on Instagram, you have to have parental permission. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a policymaker, but uh, the, the freedom conservatism manifesto is in that old view that the government is always a threat to freedom. Right. And I think that 
we're at a time when, of course, the government can be a threat to freedom. Of course it can be. But it can also be an instrument for restraining other forces that are a threat to freedom. Right. You know, a, a few years ago, we had a piece by Matt Rose, and he had a little formula in which he said that liberal individualism only looked good when we had a very stable institutions, solid families, churches, well, when we had a conservative base that was almost invisible, uh, when one could think that, hey, doing your own thing and, and all this, uh, well, people wouldn't always want to do their own bad thing when you had, again, those stabilizing traditions and institutions in place. Well, they're not in place anymore. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, Tocqueville recognized that the genius, what he feared the spiritual, social effects of unrestrained democratic culture. And he thought the United States was able, uh, that the religiosity of the American people was a kind of countervailing force against this kind of leveling democratic spirit. Strauss, I think, had a different anxiety here. And I think it was his sense that liberalism, you know, it builds, it builds uh, what, uh, solid but low. In other words, it's, uh, it's not a heroic vision of communal life. Um, but the human spirit desires the heroic. Um, and if, we're, if, if our society deprives people of these, this kind of, if it deprives people of a, of non-liberal visions of life, which ultimately have to do with authority, that because authority beckons us and uh, compels us to obey, and now authority is the authority of truth, the authority of um, the authority of beauty, the authority of God, um, the authority of of the nation that I want to serve. In other words, all these different authorities, which are which are pre-liberal or don't fit in the liberal frame of reference. And he thought if we deprive people of healthy versions of this, they would gravitate towards perverse uh, versions. So without, without kind of solid, and this is back to your point, without, without institutions that are humane, you know, people will, be, will become, you know, they'll, be, uh, they'll be easily seduced by demagogues. And he saw that was what happened in Germany in the 1930s. And so he counseled. It's one of the reasons that he was a proponent of great books, because they, they have a power of seduction. And he thought it was useful, important for you know, liberal American students to experience um, a, these visions of life that could, that could draw them in and, and you know, draw them to something that was uh, illiberal. In, in spirit and balancing our liberal culture with leavening it with these liberal elements. And I think there's something of that in my own understanding. I don't have that same uh, Straussian outlook. I think it's something in my own thinking as I've looked at, as I call it, the open society consensus that wants to open up everything and, and remove anything that's closing, in, in closing, that this can that this can um, just make people so atomized that they're just desperate for any kind of solidarity and they'll gravitate towards 
perverse forms of solidarity. And that's why, you know, people like the freedom conservative crowd, you know, they don't, they're, they're quick to talk about authoritarianism uh, or they use the F word. Uh, and, and, you know, sure, I think, obviously, but the danger is that a pure liberalism uh, or a, a, a kind of libertarianism um, it, it, it's a fantasy of removing, all, eliminate all coercive forces and that uh, the effect on people is to actually make them feel naked before the world. Well, I mean, Rusty, it, it, would, uh, uh, it, would, it would work. It would bring about the, the wonderful society. We just have to get rid of the bad people. Uh, you know, <laughs> there we go. So now, uh, and, and that brings us to another element in this mix, you refer to something called an atmosphere of fear. What do you mean? In America today? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, to an extent that I think is, I mean, you had in the Industrial Revolution, in the, you know, in the second Industrial Revolution and in, in the rise of, of, uh, of the factory system, in the United States in the late 19th century, you definitely had people who feared penury. You know, the working class, they feared that they would starve. But once you get out of the post-war era, uh, into the post-war era in the, in the 50s and 60s, um, you know, I think most people, except those on the bottom of society, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a time, it was a time of great freedom. You know, the, the, the beats, you know, go and do their happy-go-lucky trips around the country in the late 40s and early 50s. Anyway, but so today, it's amazing to me how, how anxious people are about um, not having enough money. Right. Uh, and, and this is not, it's totally normal, it's totally understandable why someone in the bottom quintile of society would work. But I, this is people in the top quintile of society. So there's a kind of economic fear that's pervasive. There's a fear of being canceled that is uh, is very widespread. Right, the safetyism. Um, uh, there's a fear of the safetyism. Um, we saw that very much during the pandemic. Um, just people, just there's a tremendous anxiety and fear out there. And Thomas Hobbes recognized that if you want to... Uh, compel obedience and you want to install in people a deep sense of fear <laughs> and then they will transfer their um, they will transfer their loyalty to the Leviathan and accept his great power to protect them and so I look again at this society we live in I am a great lover of the American culture of freedom it's a very precious um, inheritance but we have to allay people's fear if we're to forestall the emergence of this Leviathan, no. whether it's public health authorities that will cradle to grave, coddle us, or what, what have you. And, and we had another article, Russell Berman, on the state of emergency, you know, declaring emergency powers. Uh, that, that doesn't work unless you have created a climate of fear, right? Yes, because people have to feel that they're in an emergency. Right. Otherwise, they won't accept the... Uh, um, the government's claim that we're going to suspend your freedoms. Um, yes, I think so. Yeah. 
Um, I think there are a lot of factors here that, um, again, I just think we're at the end of a phase in the history of the West where we've just pressed hard on the pedal of, uh, of, of eliminating any kind of authoritative power. Yeah. And it's, it's the open society consensus. And that, um, yeah, when people are atomized, deracinated, abandoned, you know, treading water in a, in a bottomless ocean, uh, wow, uh, you're not going to get a culture of freedom. No. Cultural freedom arises out of certain kind of confidence that people have. Confidence in their own convictions, confidence in their future, confidence in the things that they believe in. You add another factor, and that is love. In fact, you, you think there's a real connection between the foundations and love. This is not simple obedience. It's affirm, affirmative love. You say a burning love, you put it. Well, 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 explain that. Well, you know, freedom, as I said, comes from the ability to say no. And often those no's um, involve sacrifice. You know, they're not cost-free no. It's not a cost-free no uh, for, for... And so what gives us... What motivates us to make a sacrifice? I think clearly love is the great motivator of sacrifices. It's a, it was because I am committed to, I'm devoted to this, I will not do that. And, and so love is, uh, it's this engine, it's the engine of transcendence as Plato recognized, the ladder of love and the symposium. Uh, you know, we, it, it's the... It's what draws us outside of ourselves, and we give ourselves to something higher. Um, and in doing so, we begin to take on the power of those things which are greater than us. I mean, Jesus says, you know, uh, uh, no greater love have, have a man than it would give his down, lay down his life for his yeah. friend. Um, and I think throughout history, people who are willing to sacrifice even their own lives are emblems of freedom. I mean, the Christian martyrs are the paradigmatic free uh, individuals. Yeah. Um, so you say, well, what could compel them? Nothing, not even the threat of death. So that's my point. We, we think of freedom as absence of restraint. And I think politically, we should desire to give people, to, 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 to prevent government power from uh, unjustly um, compelling people. Yeah. But that's not really the engine of freedom. Uh, the engine of, 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 of freedom is an inner strength, and that inner strength comes from love. You know, I asked someone uh, once why so many of the strongest voices in this sort of populist, fractious conservatism are, are women like the Moms for Liberty group. Yes. And she put it, she responded without, without any hesitation, they're thinking of their children. Yes, there yeah. you go. Or parents who have had enough and go to school board meetings. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, Jesus said where your treasure is, there is your heart also. 
And I, I've modified that, and I say where your children are, there is your heart also. Right, right. <laughs> and you know what people really, really care about by what they, by by uh, how they react to what's done to their children. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a very good example. Um, also, you know, uh, we're facing a a disengagement with China, economic disengagement with China, deglobalization broadly, but especially with respect to China. There are a lot of very wealthy people who have a lot to oh, lose yeah. in this process of disentanglement. But I think, I'm an American optimist, I think that um, for many of them, their love of their country will actually motivate them to accept and not fight uh, this disengagement, which is necessary, I think, to, um, to uh, uh, protect our country from being um, in a position where we can be coerced by a foreign power. Um, and I think that's another example of, of where strength, you know, freedom through strength. People say peace through strength, but also freedom through strength. Um, that's true for our country, but it's also tr true for us as individuals. It's not just the absence of, uh, of constraint. It's, uh, it's, this, uh, it's the strength. Because, you know, there's no way you can remove all the impediments or all the threats or, or all, the, all, all, all the coercive moves. Um, if you want to raise your children to be free, you have to, you have to give them a firm place to stand. Yeah. Um, let's go back to Thoreau. You know, uh, his convictions were, I think in many regards, misguided, but no one could accuse him of being weak. Nope. <laughs> his convictions. That's right. So, <laughs> so how do we... As look, you can't legislate, you know, cultural change, but you can you can have an influence, and so we have to think about politics, about how can we strengthen the institutions that instill in people these kinds of convictions that help them become free. Right. On that note, uh, this is the public square. Uh, we focus on an entry called Free and Conservative. Uh, Rusty Reno, I'll see you soon. I will too. Great. Thanks.